and welcome to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. Every week we will cover one of the many reported cases of reincarnation so that we can bring the discussion out into the light about what happens to our souls after death. But before we go any further, I'd like to thank Raphael Crux for allowing us to use his music from the freepd.com public domain music site. This week we're continuing on with part two of the account of Shanti Devi and her memories of being Lugati Devi. So if you recall, we covered Shanti's early years and her confusion about why she felt she was a little girl and a woman at the same time, and her teachers had contacted Kedar Nath, who sent his cousin along to assess the situation. When we left last week, Kedar Nath had just been informed by his cousin, Kanjimal Chorbe, that the little girl claiming to be his wife had convinced him, and he felt that Kedarnath needed to make the trip to Delhi to meet with the little girl. So Kedarnath planned a trip to Delhi to meet Shanti Devi, bringing his son and his current wife with him. Thinking his cousin had been swayed too easily and that he was naive, he decided to test Shanti Devi's story himself by using his brother's name to introduce himself instead of his own. He wanted to make sure and really believe her claim if she could provide evidence that no one else knew about. So Kedanath and his wife and son arrived in Delhi on November 13th in 1935. He booked a motel with his family and then he made his way to Rang Bahadur's home. Shanti Devi's family were hosting a party when he arrived, so the house was hung with festive flags and garlands. I'm not sure if that was because they knew Kedanath was coming or whether it was a coincidence. When he reached the house and opened the door, the assembled guests saw a distinguished man in an embroidered costume step through the door. The ladies hastily covered their heads with their saris at the sight of such a distinguished gentleman. Shanti Devi's parents hurried forward to greet him and welcome their guest to their home. He introduced himself, saying, I am Babu Ram Chobi. I was sent here by my brother Kedanath, May I have a few minutes of your time, even though you have guests? You're welcome as our guest, Rangbahadu informed him. Shanti Devi didn't say anything, but looked at the man with large shining eyes, her face pale, her lips trembling. She captured Kedanath's glance and managed to hold it for a little while, and then she put up her sari and hid her face in it. It's about your daughter, the man said. My brother has received a letter regarding an extraordinary occurrence and he's become interested. He doesn't have time to come himself, so he sent me here instead to prevent unnecessary rumours. Her father asked Kedanath if he would like to meet Shanti Devi and he said yes and pointed at Shanti asking if that was the little girl and why was she hiding her face. Rangbahadur told Kedanath she was shy and turning to Shanti Devi he called her over to come and greet their guest telling her his name was Babu Ram Chorbi, who, if you will recall, was Kedanath's brother, the man Shanti Devi always called her Jeff. Shanti Devi looked at the man with an expression that none of the onlookers would ever forget. You're not my Jeff, she said to the man. You're Kedanath. Shocked, Kedanath verified her identification of him, and he stared at her in astonishment. So apparently around this point, K.S. Rawat, who was a reincarnation researcher, had become interested in the case and who had interviewed Shanti Devi, made note that on the appearance of Kedanath, Shanti Devi asked her mother to prepare meals for the guests. When her mother asked what she should prepare, Shanti had said, 
that Kedanath was fond of stuffed potato paranthas and pumpkin curry. Kedanath was astounded as these were his favourite dishes. Shanty Devi doesn't talk about this in the book, but it is possible that it was just missed as an oversight, as K.S. Rawat sounds quite sure about this piece of information, and he had several interviews with Shanty Devi. So Shanty Devi looked at Kedanath and told him that he looked just as she remembered him. She said he still had his birthmark and moustache, of course, but that he didn't look much older. He asked her if she was Lugati Devi. Shanty Devi didn't answer him and just stood looking at him for a moment. But then one of the guests opened the door and let in a little boy. The moment Shanty Devi saw him, she ran to him and threw her arms around him. My son, she exclaimed. My beloved Nuanita Lal, it's me, your mother. The little boy struggled out of her grasp, saying, You're not my mother. Shanty Devi released him with a cry of desperation and ran back to Kedanath and pressed her face against his body. Seeing her distress, the boy came over and tried to comfort her, and this time he let her hug him. By this time, Shanty Devi was crying violently, and Nuanita Lal also started to cry. I remember everything, Shanty Devi said. I remember what it was like in the dark. I remember how I died. Even Kedanath was touched, and knelt beside her and cautiously touched her hands. She gripped his hands like a drowning woman. I've waited such a long time, and you've finally come at last. It's so difficult, Kedanath told her. What shall I do? You must not cry any more. You must be happy. Shanty Devi asked Kedanath whether he'd kept his promise to her, the promise that he'd made to her on her deathbed. He asked what that promise was, and Shanty Devi replied, On my deathbed you promised me that you would never get married again. I could not keep that promise, Kedanath told her. I was a man in my prime. It was impossible. I did not mean to break the promise then, I swear, Luggity Devi, but I just couldn't keep it. My present wife is a homely woman, but she's a good wife and a good mother. Shanty Devi forgave him for not keeping his promise, telling him he didn't need to explain and that Luggity Devi, who was a part of her, forgives him. She told him she wasn't asking for anything, only that Kedanath be happy. She told him she was just so happy to be able to meet him again and to see her son. I think Kedanath picked up on Shanty's unspoken wish that she could be with him again because he told her he was overwhelmed by the situation and he admitted that he had just wanted to forget Lugati Devi after she died. He pointed out that Shanty Devi was only a child. Shanty Devi accepted this resignedly and told him that she was happy to see Nuanita Lal, her son, was thriving. I was so weak, she said. I was quite tiny and the child was large. She asked Kedanath if he remembered the picture of Krishna she had by her bed at the hospital and reminded him of the 150 rupees she'd been saving up to sacrifice at the temple if she were to have a son. She asked him if he'd given the 150 rupees as she'd asked him to do. Kedanath was caught off guard and told her that he didn't remember if he had or not. He said he believed he forgot to as there was a rush to hold the funeral and he suddenly stopped speaking. Why was there a rush with my funeral? Shanty Devi stopped speaking and sat with a distant look on her face, obviously thinking things out. Her mother wanted to go up and comfort her, but her father stopped her, saying, Nobody can do anything more for her than the man who's sitting beside her. You and I don't belong to our little girl any longer. 
Shantidevi heard him and told him, You are my father. I don't deny it. She asked her mother to fetch some toys so she could play with her son. Her mother brought Shanty Devi's marionette dolls over and some playing cards. The two of them played together for a while before the lawyer, Tara Chand Matur, appeared at the house. Rang Bahadur greeted him and told him that Shanty Devi had identified her husband from her previous life in front of everyone in the room. I'm completely overwhelmed, Kedanath replied. This little girl is not like my deceased wife to look at, but I see Lugidi Devi's soul in her glance. So the rumour spread quickly, and very quickly a crowd gathered outside Rang Bahadur's house. Kedanath and his son returned to the hotel he was staying at with his wife, however he did state that he would be back to visit again tomorrow. The next morning when he and his son arrived at Shanti Devi's house again, there were so many people waiting outside the house that, he had great difficulty making his way to the door. Once he made it safely inside and the door was shut behind him, Shanti Devi ran up to him and he lifted her and kissed her forehead, but she noticed immediately that his manner was reserved. He told the family he'd been thinking about everything and that he remained unconvinced as Shanti Devi had not told him anything that wasn't public knowledge and the information could have been passed on to her by someone who knew Lugati Devi. He felt the situation could have been arranged. He said that while it was true she recognised him, someone else could have described what he looked like, and that the deathbed promise she made reference to could have been a guess, which just happened to be perfectly correct. He said that people often made promises like that in difficult situations, and one person's intentions may not be as serious as another. In other words, while he said the words, he had no intention of keeping the promise. Understandably, Rang Bahadur, Shanti's father, was upset by this statement and said to him, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm afraid I must ask you to leave us immediately. I'm only searching for the truth, Kedanath answered. Shanti Devi stroked his hand as she spoke. You are as suspicious as you were before. You have no respect for that which is sacred, and you don't believe that anyone else has either but I'm going to give you the evidence that nobody else can. Kedanath stated that nobody had the right to deny him concrete evidence and he wasn't meaning to be nasty. Shanti Devi told him that he was often cowardly and scared and that she remembered quite clearly how he behaved. She asked her parents to leave them alone so they could speak privately. Rang Bahadur and Prem left them together. Shanti Devi pulled Kedanath to a bench in the courtyard and they sat. I've always wondered what Shanti Devi told him that could be such convincing proof to him. I always assumed that they discussed intimate details of their sex life, but the conversation is now revealed for us all to know in the book. I really don't like reading out conversations as I'm definitely no actor, but I will in this case as I think it's more powerful to hear it exactly as Shanti Devi remembered it. She said to Kedanath, can anyone have told me about the 150 rupees I wanted to sacrifice for my son? He said, I don't know where Lugati Devi's hiding places are. She said, you're extremely economical in some ways, Kedanath. Outwardly, you were hospitable and generous, but when your wife asked for something, you were often economical. Lugati Devi, who is with me, loves you dearly, but she knows your weaknesses. She admires you and obeys you and is faithful to you, but have you always been faithful to Lugati Devi? 
Ged and Earth looked dismayed. Naturally. It's not true, Shanty Devi answered firmly. You were convinced that Lugity Devi didn't know anything about it. When she became ill, you were often impatient. She had to yield herself to you, even though she was in such pain. You were a temperamental man, and you almost forced yourself upon her. She couldn't manage it in the normal way without placing herself in a special position. Kedanath shrank back and stared at her in horror. Stop, stop, I don't want to hear any more. There was no shame in it. How can you know about that? Do you believe this, then? There was a day when I wasn't able to do as you wished. Then you began to look for another woman. You admired the nurse from Alagar, who was to take care of me for several weeks before I was taken to the hospital. By this time, Kedar Nath was deeply discomforted. He was shocked and his cheeks were burning. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember that, he exclaimed. I remember every detail of Lugati Devi's life because I am Lugati Devi. The girl from Alagar was a very beautiful Anglo-Indian with pale skin. She was respectful towards me, but you would look at each other on the sly. You didn't think I saw you exchange glances. The servants carried me out to the well. One day you didn't come out and see me, even though you knew I was waiting out there for you. You didn't think I'd be able to walk by myself and the servants weren't home. I called out, but you pretended not to hear. Do you know why I couldn't walk? You were pregnant. You were in great pain. Several years earlier, when I was on a pilgrimage to Hardvar, a bone splinter became stuck in my foot. It had wandered upwards in my leg. The doctors didn't understand what had happened. I didn't see a real doctor either until I came to Lady Lyle's hospital in Agra and was operated on before I could give birth to my child. They didn't believe that I would be able to give birth in the normal way if they didn't operate. Kedanath began to cry. Lugati Devi, forgive me. Lugati Devi, I loved you, he cried. That time at the well, when you didn't think I was able to stand up, I did manage to somehow. It made my leg hurt dreadfully, and in spite of the pain, I moved quietly and hobbled into the house, leaning against the wall. I felt like an old woman. Instead of having my lovely red and gold sari on, I was wrapped up in shawls like an old woman. In the room beyond, I saw you and the girl, but you were far too engrossed with each other to notice me. Kedanath's face was stricken with terror by this time. I didn't know. I didn't believe. Lugity Devi never said a word. Since that day, she never spoke to me very much. How she must have suffered, my poor wife. She didn't say anything. She was heartbroken, but she didn't accuse. It would have been better if you'd confronted her face to face. By this time, Kedanath was deeply upset and shaking with sobs. He told Shanty Devi he could never make amends for his actions no matter how long he lived or whatever he did. It's too late, Kedanath, she told him. But Lugati Devi, who is part of me, still loves you. Shanty Devi relates that her strength deserted her then and she began to cry as the child she was in the grown man's arms, and while he was shaken to the core, they found some comfort together. When Rang Bahadur and his wife returned and found them together in each other's arms, both crying profusely, Kedanath told them, Everything that Shanti Devi has said is correct. I swear it in the name of Krishna. Nobody can have any doubts. Lugati Devi has returned. 
I gather from the book that Shanti Devi expected to be able to return to Mutra with Kedanath, but of course that would have been an unrealistic expectation. Kedanath had arrived with his son and wife, and the story by this time was travelling like wildfire through the community. The consequences, both to Kedanath and his family and to Shanti Devi, would have been disastrous, and even if she thought she could travel there now and then to visit, the resultant scandal would have ruined everybody. So, as Kedanath had agreed to with her parents beforehand, Shanti Devi remained in Delhi, while Kedanath went home with his wife and son on the 15th of November 1935. It must be remembered that Shanti Devi was only almost nine years old at the time of this meeting, and so was still legally a little girl living under the care of her parents. When Shanti Devi realised that Kedarnath had returned home and left her behind, she was shattered. She became apathetic and indifferent to everything and stopped speaking to her family again. Understandably, her parents were greatly distressed and in despair. However, in time, after several days, Shanti Devi regrouped and was once again calm and in control of herself. One evening, Tara Chand Mathur, the lawyer who lived near Shanti Devi, came to the house with two highly respected gentlemen, Lala Deshpandu Gupta and politician Nekiram Sharma, who was a personal friend of Mahatma Gandhi. So for the younger listeners among us who may not be aware of who Mahatma Gandhi was, India was originally under British rule. Mahatma Gandhi was an Indian lawyer who wanted India to be free and self-governing, and he encouraged and led a movement that employed non-violent resistance to regain independence. His campaign was successful, and in August 1947, Britain granted independence to India. Gandhi not only brought about change for India, but his efforts inspired movements striving for civil rights and freedom right across the world. Sadly, he was assassinated on the 30th of January 1948, but the effects of his life still resonate all around the world, and he is an iconic figure, both in India and in the rest of the world. So, to return to our account, the esteemed gentleman spoke earnestly to Rang Bahadur about Shanti Devi and the events that had occurred. They were concerned about the after-effects of what had happened and were worried that there would be an unhealthy spreading of rumours about the case through the community that may end up being picked up by the newspapers who were bound to exaggerate and misrepresent the case. They suggested an impartial committee of inquiry and recommended taking Shanti Devi to Mathura to verify her statements at her old neighbourhood and places that she remembered. However, Rang Bahadur told the men that both Kanji Mal and Kedanath himself had been to the house and verified Shanti Devi's statements were true and correct. He told them that in their opinion her information corresponded with their own. When asked if he would refuse to allow Shanti Devi to go to Mathura, he answered with one word, absolutely. Neatly stymied, the esteemed gentleman departed, but that was not to be the end of the matter. A short amount of time later, Mahatma Gandhi walked down the street towards Rang Bahadur's house. Instantly recognised by people on the street, they began prostrating themselves as he passed, calling out to him asking for his blessing and praising him. Rang Bahadur and his wife were dumbfounded at their sudden visitor. 
To receive him as a guest would have been one of the greatest honours that could have been bestowed on anyone, for Gandhi was an amazing man. It would be like opening the door to find Marilyn Monroe, or perhaps a more apt comparison, Nelson Mandela standing on your doorstep asking to come in. Events had transpired after Rang Bahadur's refusal to allow Shanti Devi to travel to Mutra. Nekiram Sharma had spoken to Gandhi about the little girl, and feeling there was enough evidence to warrant further investigation, Gandhi had convened a committee of respected men to explore the matter fully and find out the truth. Mahatma Gandhi smiled warmly at the family and beckoned Shanti Devi to come forward. He asked if this was the girl he had heard of, and when Rang Bahadur prostrated himself at Gandhi's feet, asking to what he owed the honour of this visit, Gandhi told him, It's about your child, Shanti Devi. Nikiram Sharma has told me an incredible story. I would like you, Rang Bahadur, to allow the girl to travel to Mutra. I'm afraid she'll be unhappy in the future, Rang Bahadur answered. Gandhi told Rang Bahadur that it was God's will, and her father couldn't prevent Shanti Devi from confronting her destiny. He told him that you can't oppose the law of karma, and that if he kept the holy name of the Lord on his lips, he would be relieved from worry. And so Rang Bahadur agreed to the trip, and Gandhi wished Shanti Devi good luck on her quest, telling her, Never step aside from the way of truthfulness whatever it may cost. So on November 24, 1935, nine days after Kedanath had returned home, Shanti Devi, her parents and 15 highly respected people from Delhi travelled by train to Motra. Included in the group were the lawyer Tarachan Mathur, Nekiram Sharma, politician and Gandhi's close personal friend, and Lala Deshbandu Gupta, Chairman of the Publishers Association. They were officially known as the Committee of Inquiry. Some of the other members were another eminent lawyer, two well-known newspaper men, a distinguished politician, some businessmen and government officials, and all were known for their impeccable character. Kedanath and his family had been informed about the arrival of Shanti Devi and the Committee of Inquiry. Everybody was watching the little girl closely to see what she recognised, and she didn't disappoint, as she recognised the man that she'd always called her Jeff, Kedanath's brother, Baburam Chorbe, in the crowds on the platform. She ran towards him, put her arms around his legs, and wouldn't let him go. He was astounded as she whispered something to him, and he confirmed that he was Baburam Chorbe, Kedanath's brother, and that this little girl had asked him if he looked after her holy basil plant which Lugati Devi had asked him to do before she left on her final trip to Agra, to the hospital. Their reunion was heartfelt and was very moving to all who witnessed it, and Tarachan Matur introduced the entire group to Baburam Chorbi. But the committee then asked Baburam not to speak to Shanti until the finish of the investigation, to keep the evidence path pure. So Baburam Chorbi left the group with a bow, and then one of the committee members, Nekiram Sharma, turned to Shanti Devi and told her that she was now the one who would lead the group from there. He asked her to show them the way to the places that she was familiar with, 
and she was the one who would decide what the group would do and where they would go. So the group hired several taxis and Shanti sat in the first one. She sat quietly in the taxi cab for a while, leading Neki Ram Sharma to think that she'd lost her sense of locality, but she hadn't. She pointed to a narrow street with several trees. She stopped the taxi and told them that they could walk the rest of the way from their departure point. Tarajan Matua asked Shanti Devi where they were going, and Shanti said, We're going to the first home where I was newly married. My husband Kedanath bought the house for us. I shall never forget how happy I was. I was brought there by Kedanath on our wedding day to my yellow house, which I loved. Even though the whole occasion for their trip was somewhat surreal, Shanti Devi's way of speaking about the past was so objective and believable that they just accepted it. No comment was needed. Shanti Devi led the group up the street, but before she reached the house, she recognised an elderly man walking towards them with slow steps through the trees. She ran to the man and bent her head towards his knees as she kissed his hands. It was Babu Mahadev, Lugati Devi's father-in-law. She said to him, It was you, Babu Mahadev, who gave me my churis, my ankle bracelets. Do you remember? You said, She shall dance in Krishna's honour. She is as agile as a gopi, one of those pure girls who love God. You appreciated my dancing. Blessed be the Lord, exclaimed the elderly Brahmin. Those were my own words. Then you've returned, Lugati Devi. Blessed be the Lord. Shanti Devi then introduced the man to the group before leading them to the yellow house that she remembered so well. She was very excited to see it, but when Nekiram Sharma pointed out Nine Chorbe Street, it was a white, decorative, medium-sized building. That's the house over there, he said, but you must be mistaken, it's not yellow. It is yellow, Shanti Devi said obstinately. I know it is. She was very disappointed when she saw the White House. When Tara Chand Matur comforted her, saying, Never mind, it's easy to be mistaken on one point. You've been right about so many things. The little girl became close to tears and insisted, It is yellow. It must be yellow. It's my house anyway. She ran ahead of the group to the house and approached two men who were standing in the garden of the house, talking to each other. They were surprised to see the little girl, who ignored them completely as she ran into the garden. It must have been quite comical to watch them do a double take at the appearance of a small determined girl, particularly when they looked up and saw a group of fifteen people descending upon them. Shanti ignored the men and went straight in the main door of the house, which was open. One of the men informed them that he rented the house off Kedanath, and that the man with him was their neighbour. Both men were aware of Lugati Devi. They confirmed that that was the name of Kedanath's former wife, who had passed away. One of the committee members informed the two men that the little girl who had just run into the house is called Shanti Devi, and she thinks she can prove she is the reincarnation of Lugati Devi, but she says that the house should be yellow. The tenant nodded in agreement, informing them that the house was indeed yellow, but that the tenant had repainted it white by themselves. They confirmed that when Lugati Devi was alive, the house was indeed yellow, thereby providing another point of proof. Shanti Devi reappeared in the doorway and beckoned the committee inside. Things must be very different in India, because I think if that were me and 15 people landed on my doorstep demanding entrance, 
I might have a word or two to say about it, but the tenant appears to have allowed everybody in because they all went into the house. Shanty Devi led them through the house, pointing out the changes that had been made and even how furniture had been placed before. She wanted to show them her room of worship on the top floor. She told them this was where she had her holy basil plant, the one that she'd asked her father-in-law, Baba Ram Chobi, to mine while she was in hospital. She explained that she and her husband had their rooms on the top floor. Excitedly, she jumped up the stairs, keen to get there quickly, only to be disappointed when she couldn't find the altar. She then remembered that she took the plant with her to the second house they lived in and that her corner of devotion was also there. But she could point out where the bed stood in the room, which the tenant confirmed as he'd seen the layout of the furniture when he came through on a house inspection during their consideration to rent it. He asked if he could ask Shanty Devi a bit of a personal question. Tara Chan Matura and Neki Ram Sharma gave their permission and the tenant asked the little girl where the Jaisura was. The little girl blushed and became a little embarrassed, but she skipped down the stairs again and knocked on the door. Here, she declared triumphantly. The tenant laughed and explained to Tara Chan Matur that Jaisura means by force and is used by the inhabitants of Mutra instead of the word toilet, a snippet of information that the committee found quite humorous. After this revelation, the committee said goodbye to the tenant and his neighbour and Shanty led them to Chorbay Street. Suddenly, Shanty Devi stopped when she saw a young man and cried out, It's my brother, Natura Nath, my brother. The young man was only approximately 25 years of age and he was caught by surprise by the little girl, but he opened his arms and he hugged her. She told the group, My brother and I were so alike. You became angry when people thought you were like your sister, do you remember? The young man smiled and nodded, confirming her memory. Realising who she must be, he asked if she was the young girl who was Lugati Devi. When she confirmed his questions, he asked her if she knew the names of her two other brothers. Shanti Devi laughed and said, Vidalanath and Ayodhyanath. Should I not know the names of my own brothers? The two shared a lively conversation for a while and then Shanti Devi turned her face toward her old home, the home where Kedanath and his wife still currently lived. Her demeanour changed from the lively, chatty little girl she had been just a few moments ago. She became subdued and her carriage became that of a grown woman. Tarachand Matur studied her face and to him it was as if he could see the contours of another being a woman who had been through difficulty and had matured because of it. She turned to the group and pointed at the house. It was here I spent the happiest time of my life, but also the most difficult. I was extremely ill. As the group approached, Kedanath Chorbe and his wife, Anoni Dalal, Lugdi Devi's son, were waiting in the hall. Shanti Devi curtsied reverently to them, and hid her face behind her sari. It was a strange and awkward scene, but after greeting Kedanath's wife and kissing her son on the forehead, she told the commission she would show them everything. You are all welcome, she told them. It was here I spent most of my time as a married woman when I was Lugati Devi. She told Kedanath and his family that this was an investigation, that no one was allowed to speak to her, and that she had to describe everything herself. She told Kedanath that they wouldn't stay long. 
Kedanath seemed to be much more upset than Shanty Devi, and he told her she could take as long as she wished. It was her home when she was Lugati Devi. The little girl explained to the group, This was my real home. I lived here as a real woman. The kitchen is out there. We can have a look at it if you like. Then we can go upstairs where I'll show you my room. There is also the corner where I used to pray and my plant. Kedanath made a move to say something, but Shanty Devi was already halfway up the stairs and was too far ahead. He followed her and unlocked the door to Shanty's room. Her face became stone-like as the door opened, and it was clear the room was not used any more and was a storage area. Inside the room was only a large cupboard and several packing cases. Shanty Devi was upset that her plant was not there and her altar was gone. Kedanath explained that Babu Ram still had the plant, which was now extremely large, but he trailed off as the little girl asked him where the picture of Krishna was. She told Kedanath she loved it, and Kedanath explained that it was still there somewhere, but he'd packed up the room because he didn't know any better. The little girl pointed out that he wasn't using the room for anything else, so there was no reason to pack it up. But to be fair to Kedanath, I'm not sure that I'd be keeping my dead wife's room in perfect condition either. That's probably not going to lead to marital harmony. Shanty Devi looked at the cupboard and told him that she didn't like the cupboard being there, that it stood where her bed used to be. Kedanath confirmed this fact. Shanty Devi's annoyance dropped and she spoke to Kedanath tenderly, but it was as if there was an ongoing settlement taking place between a couple that had parted. She asked if her clothes were still there that had been in the cupboard when it was down on the ground floor. Uncomfortably, after a glance at his wife, who shook her head, he told her that they weren't and that she couldn't really expect them to be after such a long time. She asked about her jewellery, and Kedanath handed her a jewellery box, which he unlocked. Shanty delved through the items in the box, pointing out the pieces that were hers, and pulled out a splendid string of pearls with a ruby, which she hung over her forehead. It's my chand, she exclaimed. You gave it to me, Kedanath. Isn't it beautiful? She looked in the mirror, but then flinched when she saw herself as a little girl. She recognised a ring Kedanath had given her when they were married. She could recognise which rings were hers and which belonged to his current wife. She turned to Kedanath's wife, who started to cry, and left the room. Shanti was apologetic, stating it was not her intention to upset her. Kedanath replied, I know you didn't mean to, but one must not ask too much. I'm not asking for anything, Shanty Devi replied. Here are my churis. She pulled out the ankle bracelets her father-in-law had given her, her eyes sparkling. She put the bracelets on and took a few steps, the bracelets jingling. But the next step she took made them slide off her child-sized feet. Kedanath asked if she would like the bracelets, but Shanty Devi declined. The mood of the group had turned melancholic as they watched the little girl and shared her sadness. As they left the room, Shanty Devi recognised her white sari in a pile of laundry that was lying on the table. The laugh she gave at its discovery was not the laugh of a little girl. It was all woman. At this point, Shanty Devi said that they should go to the temple. Tarachand Matur said, I am speaking on behalf of all of us when I say that we are convinced. Nekiram Sharma exclaimed, though, what about the well, as Shanti had spoken of it so often. Shanti led them out into the courtyard to show them the well. 
She noticed that the holy pictures were gone from the walls of the courtyard. Neki Ram Sharma asked where the well was, and Shanti Devi pointed to a corner of the courtyard, but there was no well there. For a moment, it appeared that they'd discovered a fact that Shanti Devi had been wrong about. But Kedanath moved over to the corner and lifted several of the stone tiles away, telling the group that the well had been boarded up when the water became contaminated. He pointed out that there was still a little bit of water at the bottom. The group came closer to establish the fact that there had indeed been a well at the appointed place, and there was no way that anyone would have been able to find it without prior knowledge of it. Shanti Devi then remembered the hiding place she'd spoken of with the 150 rupees in it. She went back to her room to try and find the money she was saving for her sacrifice at the temple in gratitude for her son. Kedanath opened the door again, and even though there was no sign of it, Shanti Devi moved confidently to a corner of the room and, using her foot, tried to lift one of the floorboards there. Kedanath helped her lift the board and it revealed a hiding space beneath. The little girl put her hand in the space and felt about, but it was empty. So, to give an idea of how much money we're talking about, 150 rupees in 1935 would be around 11,200 rupees in today's rupee, which would be approximately 153 US dollars today. She asked Kedanath where the money was that had been there. Embarrassed, the Brahmin turned away and couldn't meet her eyes. He told her he'd spent it, as it was pointless to just let it lie there. When asked what he did with it, he told her he paid for the funeral. Shanti called him out on his earlier lie, saying to him, You said earlier that you forgot to sacrifice it. You said there was such a rush with the funeral. You said, Yes, I know. I broke my promise to Lugati Devi. It still torments me terribly. After this exchange, the two just looked at each other in silence for a while. We really should be content with the results of our investigation, Neki Ram Sharma said. He turned to Kedanath and said, I ask you in front of all these witnesses, Pandit Kedanath Chorbi, what is your opinion about this little girl who has told us of her reminiscences of her previous life? I recognise my dead wife, Lugati Devi, in this child, Kedanath answered. She was a wonderful person, faithful in all her duties. Everyone in the committee was deeply moved by this account, and Shanti Devi took a last long glance around the home that was once hers. Goodbye, Kedanath, she said. Maybe we'll meet again. Kedanath replied, You're always welcome here, home. But that wasn't the last piece of information about Lugati Devi's life that was revealed that day. Shanti Devi had not really mentioned Lugati Devi's parents very often. And as the book points out, perhaps that was because the memories were blurred by the presence of her current parents in the incarnation she had as Shanti Devi. Whenever she spoke of her real home, she always spoke of the house she shared with Kedanath. Very occasionally, she mentioned her father, Chaturapuj. After leaving Kedanath's house and on making their way to the temple, Shanti Devi stopped the taxi a short distance away from a white wall. She disembarked, as did the other committee members, and she walked to the entrance. Standing by the door, she looked into the large garden behind the wall. This is my childhood home. There are so many people here. She walked into the garden without waiting to be asked, and the other members of the group trailed along behind her. It was an emotional moment for the little girl, but equally upsetting for her parents in this life. 
Shanty Devi walked into the yard and called out to a woman, Mama, Mama. She went up to her expectantly, but then realised it was the wrong woman and said, No, it's not you. You're not Jaggerty Devi, my mother. The woman gasped in surprise and the noise of the party stopped suddenly as everyone looked at the unexpected visitor. Shanty looked at the people around her and then ran up to a woman in a simple dress who looked like she may have aged prematurely. Shanty Devi put her arms around the completely confused woman and began to cry. Mama, Mama, Jaggerty Devi, it's Lugerty Devi, your daughter, she cried. The elderly lady was completely confused, not understanding what was happening at all, so Shanty Devi whispered something to her that no one else could hear. Both the elderly woman and the little girl clasped each other as the woman began crying too. The distress on Prem Priam's face was agonising as she watched her daughter embrace another woman and call her mother. She put her hands to her face and whispered, My God, now they're taking my little girl away from me. What shall I do? It was an unbearable moment for everyone. It was clear that Shanty Devi's emotions were raw and painful. But Shanty Devi states in the book that there was also a sense of relief as if an inhuman burden had been lifted away. Tara Chand Matur stepped forward, feeling a need to intervene and bring some control to the situation. He apologised to the assembled partygoers, informing them that this was his fault and that it had gone far enough. He said he could not permit it to continue. He gently unentangled Shanty Devi's arms from the elderly woman and steered her towards Prem Priam, her mother in this incarnation. Prem Priam grabbed hold of Shanty Devi and hugged her, even though the little girl was trying to free herself. Jaggedy Devi reached out for the little girl, clearly feeling the loss of her daughter for a second time. She asked me if I'd offered flowers and pastries to Krishna, which I promised her I would do at the hospital, Jaggedy Devi said tearfully. I forgot to do as she asked. Now she asked me to do this today. When I embraced her, it was Lugati Devi I held in my arms. She was my little girl. You didn't do as I asked, Mama, so now I must do it. Why has everyone broken their promises? Why does one always lie to a dying person? Prem Priam, unable to bear it any more, intervened, telling the assembled group that it was enough, that Shanty Devi was their child and it was too much and was making the little girl ill. Her whole body is trembling, she cried. Shanty Devi answered her mother back, I am not ill. Leave me alone. You're not my real mother. My real mother is Jagadi Devi, and there is my father, Taturapuj Chorbe. She pulled herself free of Prem Priyam's arms and ran to the older man who was dressed in typical Mutra costume. He'd been standing to the side and observing the events unfolding. As she came to him, he asked, You're Ligeti Devi, our girl? Child, you know that I am Chattapuj Chobi? Is there anything else that you can tell me? Shanty Devi thought for a moment. You were very poor, she said candidly. You had to put yourself in debt to be able to pay for my dowry because she wanted me to be the wife of Kedanath. He confirmed Shanty's account and asked if Shanty Devi might be allowed to stay with them. Both Prem Priam and Rang Bahadur stepped forward at this statement, 
and intervene, saying that Shanti Devi staying would not be allowed, as she was their daughter. Jagati Devi begged Shanti's parents to let her stay with them for a while, saying the little girl could live with them and have Lugati's toys and clothes to wear, as they kept them all because they loved her so much. Rang Bahada objected strongly, telling them it was against nature and against her parents from this life. Jagati Devi insisted that Shanti Devi be allowed to choose where she would rather be, saying it was her right. Prem Priyam tried to appeal to Tara Chand Matur, the lawyer, but he nodded his acceptance, leaving the choice to Shanti Devi. She stood there hesitantly for a while, deeply serious, but no longer crying. At last, she walked over to Rang Bahadur and Prem Priyam and surrendered herself to them, whispering, Forgive me, Mother Jagti. Forgive me, Father Chattapuj. So, news of the commission and its path around Matur started to percolate on the streets, and the taxicabs were swamped with people wanting to see her. It became like a triumphal procession, and the little girl stood up in the carriage, greeting the onlookers with her hands clasped to her breast and her head bent forward. Shanti Devi finally got to return to the Dwakadish temple she had spoken so much about, and she prayed to Krishna, begging him to help her as he'd done so often in the past. She visited the river and lay the wreaths that the priests had placed on her on the surface of the water reverently. In response to a request to hear Shanti Devi speak, the party reconvened in a nearby schoolyard where thousands of people had gathered. Tara Chanmatur and Nekiram Sharma gave a detailed report of what had happened and the other members of the committee confirmed what they had witnessed. And at last, Shanti Devi herself made a speech. She was dignified and serious and she ended her short speech by saying, I'm happy I've lived here but now I intend to continue my new life in Delhi. Finally, the exhausted little girl and the committee members boarded the train back to Delhi. So having covered all of the events that came before, it can now be seen why this case took India by storm, but it also reached the rest of the world as well and brought reincarnation to the notice of people all around the world, people who had never considered reincarnation to be anything more than fanciful imagination or storytelling. The Commission wrote a report about the events that transpired and stated that they felt irrefutably that it was a genuine case of reincarnation. But what happened to Shanti Devi? As a little girl, she continued her schooling and occasionally stories would be written about her in the newspapers, but as time went on, that happened more and more rarely and the world moved on from the sensational events. Shanti Devi grew to womanhood and became a serious, quiet and reserved woman. She often thought of Kedarnath. Occasionally she received a letter from him. They were cordial to each other and in time she came to view him as an extraordinary relative. When World War II broke out, the Indian economy was affected as it was everywhere and Rangbahada's business was deeply affected. The family was teetering on the edge of financial ruin and Shanti finished school at 15 and offered to get a job to help out. Her parents wanted her to marry and they lined up a meeting with a wealthy young man named Devendra Tayal, but Shanti refused. In her heart, 
Shanti Devi really never got over her memories of being married to Kedarnath. She knew she could never have Kedarnath back. The woman she had been was gone, and he was married to someone else. But she still felt married to him. If she thought about the past too much, she sank into depression, and it was severe enough that it felt like it was trying to destroy her personality, and she had to expend a great deal of effort to keep the depression at bay. Her parents were dismayed when she told them that she would never marry. I am a widow, she told them, and in accordance with the unwritten laws, a widow is not allowed to marry again. I still love my husband. I hold his memory sacred and nobody can take his place. Nobody can alter my decision. So, even though her family was struggling badly, Shanti Devi was sent to university in Simla, a town at the foot of the Himalaya mountain range. For Shanti, being allowed to study was a huge step forward. She learned English, Hindi and Sanskrit. Knowing how difficult it was for her parents to provide the education for her, she lived in seclusion and she studied diligently. She was often very lonely. She made friends with a young Sikh by the name of Ramdas Singh. They shared mutual interests and if the past had been different, she might have had a relationship with the young man, but in her heart the feeling remained that she belonged to Kedarnath and to be with anyone else would be a betrayal. So in the end, when Ramdas Singh proposed to her, she told him of her past and she turned him down, and they separated. Rangbahada had started working for Devendra Tayal, the young man that he wanted Shanti to marry. And as it was her father's wish, she started working for Devendra Tayal too when she finished her studies. But she stamped down hard on any thought of marriage when they suggested it, and life continued on in this vein for a while. In 1947, she received news that the young man she'd met at university, Ramdas Singh, had been killed in combat between the Muslims and the Hindus, which was a conflict that broke out after India won its freedom from being under British rule. Shanti learned yoga and came to know a learned man called Sushil Chandra Bose, who was interested in the time between her two lives. Shanti felt it was something she shouldn't be talking about and she had a strong resistance to discussing it. However, his discussion with her about it opened up more memories, some hazy, some crystal clear. She didn't see herself as the living Lugati Devi, but as the dead Lugati Devi, and it helped her to gain some enlightenment and brought new perspective. It was a hard time for her, however, and her parents were frequently woken up by her crying. Physically, she became pale and worn down. It was at this time that she renewed contact with Matri Devi, the Holy Mother, who had been the first person to say she believed Shanti Devi so many years before. Shanti Devi studied philosophy under her supervision. She spoke of her problems and finally faced the question, what am I going to do with my life? She decided she wanted to wholly devote herself to teaching, so she quit her job at the paper factory and with her parents and her brother, she bought a piece of land outside of Delhi to build her own school. It was around this time she met Stir Longstrand, who had come to interview her because of her case, and he was the man who would ultimately write the book. They spoke often of her memories. Shanti Devi told him how difficult it was to be a child with such vivid memories of being a woman, of how she'd often had to be reminded she really was a child, 
She spoke to him of the time in between her two lives. Shanty Devi told him that the gap between the lives was exactly one year, two months and seven days. She said she remembers the time in between well, but it's hard to put into words. She said the people don't die as quickly as people believe and she felt attached to her body right up until the funeral just before the body was burned. Shanty does describe some of her memories of the time in between her lives, but she also gave an interview to a man called B.C. Nahata, who was writing a book of his own, and the two accounts are alike, but not alike. So I'll combine them here so that all of the things Shanty remembered are listed. She said that just before she died, she felt a profound darkness, and after her death, she saw a dazzling light. She knew she'd come up out of her body in a vaporous form, and that she was moving upwards. She felt free, and that she had shrunk. She was so tiny, she was almost a minute particle of dust, and yet everything, the whole universe, was within her. She was in a place where there was a sensation of constant motion, like wind. It was a silver-grey stream of light which moved back and forth in its own rhythm. It felt dead and alive at the same time, and then four men wearing yellow saffron robes came to her. The four men were young, actually, seemed to be in their teens, and their appearance and dress were very bright. She said they put her in a cup and carried her. The interviewer asked a bit of a leading question then and asked her if she had asked anything about the river. I assume he means the river of souls that some people say they've seen. She replied that those who aspire for a higher life sincerely, but had committed fleshly wrong in this life, were dipped in the river before moving any higher. So Shanty went with the teenage men that were with her until the third plane. On the fourth plane she went on alone. But she felt connected to the souls around her, to the beings of light that helped her, and to the other souls. She said there were saints at all three places, and Krishna was there, sitting on a throne. In front of him was another saint. Krishna was reading from a piece of paper in his hand. She can't remember exactly what he was speaking about, but she remembers him reading out house number 565, which is the number of the house Shanti Devi resided in later in her life. She said she saw gold and silver staircases there. She said there were no dwellings or houses and all is just open space. On the fourth plane there were even more saints that were brighter in appearance than those on the third plane and that was where she saw Krishna sitting on the throne. He was showing each person a record of their activities on earth, both good and bad, and telling them what their future would be like. She said she was then taken to a place like a staircase that was very bright, and she was seated there. She said there was no light and darkness, that it was all full of light. It was light all day, and it was a light that was very mild and soothing, and yet enlivening. There was no sense of time there. She felt there was a higher place than she reached, but she can't say anything about it. After waiting on the staircase for a long time, she was taken to a dark room that had bad smells coming from all sides, but she was made to lie down in a clean place there. She felt like she seemed to be floating until she found herself clinging onto something and was wedged in between something. She later felt that she was in the womb. Sterl Onestrand and Shanti Devi returned to Mathura to revisit some of the people and the memories. Shanti herself had no real desire to return, having decided on her last trip 
that she didn't think she would return to Matur again, as she'd wanted to leave behind the life she'd lost there, but to support her friend she agreed to go. Shanti and Stua spent some time with them all. Lugati Devi's parents had since died. Gedanath was still in his store, as was Nuanita Lal, who now had a son of his own, and Kedanath's brother, Babu Ramchobi, the man she always called her Jeth, was there as well. Shanti and Stur spent some time with them all, Shanti chatting with her son as any mother would with her child, although perhaps Nuanita Lal was slightly less respectful than he would be to his mother. However, given they were roughly the same age, it's a complicated relationship. Neither was really forthcoming about the depth of their relationship with each other. Finally, Kedarnath himself appeared. Stur described him as a dignified Brahmin dressed in black who looked surprisingly youthful for his sixty years of age. Shanti introduced him to Stur, saying, This is my husband from my previous life. Her pride in him was obvious. She looked at him with shining eyes, and no one could mistake the radiance in Kedarnath's eyes when he looked at Shanti Devi. Stur Lonestrand wrote that he had the feeling that neither of them was perceiving the other in a fully realistic light. There was still an obvious attraction between them, and they spoke to each other in hushed tones in Hindi. But Kedanath was still married, and introduced his wife and Lugati Devi's daughter-in-law, who is Nuanita's wife. Their parting at the train station was emotional for both of them. Kedanath's eyes filled with tears as he took Shanti's hand in his. Who knows if we'll meet again, he said with a sigh. Time goes so quickly and I'm beginning to get old. It's a tragedy that we can never have our happiness back again. Would you perhaps like Shanti Devi to stay with you? Stur asked him. Is that your secret wish? I don't have the right to express such a wish, Kedanath replied. I am married to another woman. Shanti Devi is young and unmarried. I was unfaithful to Lugati Devi, and I broke my oath. I felt at the time I acted sensibly. However, I have pondered it over a great deal, and now I realise I acted foolishly. Everything would have been different if only I hadn't broken my promise. He broke the promise he gave me on my deathbed, said Shanti Devi. He promised me that he would never remarry. He gave me his promise under oath. He did it voluntarily. I didn't demand it of him. When I broke my promise, I thought that I'm a man in the best years of my life, said Kedanath. How could I possibly know that Lugati Devi would come back again? She promised me, of course. She promised me in the name of Krishna. But how could I possibly know that such things really can happen? I have regretted it deeply, but what can I do? I've asked her to forgive me and I ask her once again. I forgive you, said Shanti Devi. And so they remained for the rest of their lives, locked in this strange relationship of deep love and regret, betrayal and forgiveness, with Kedda Nath ever regretful and remorseful, and Shanti Devi's own life frozen to the altar of a love that she could never walk away from. Stur Lonestrand suggested to Shanti that she should travel abroad, and allow people to meet her. Why not get married and have a family? Shanti Devi replied, Don't you understand that I cannot do that? I can't get married while Kedarnath is alive. If he couldn't keep his promise he made on my deathbed, that's one thing. 
I don't blame him, but I've made my decision. She talked about Lugarty Devi's deep religious belief and says that Lugarty Devi almost made it. She remembered giving birth to her son, but knew that she was extremely weak. She remembered her happiness, but knew at the same time that she had to die. She said she could feel it through her whole body, even as she fought it, because she wanted to stay so badly. She said she prayed to Krishna in a way she'd been taught, chanting the mantra which leads a person through the state of death when she has lost her body, and she repeated the chant so often and for so long that she achieved a state of pure bliss, and the prayer grew and grew within her until all of the rhythms of her body pulsed with spiritual strength and belief, and Krishna was a part of her. And yet, even while she was doing it, she was longing to stay. She said, I made a mistake. I was far too eager to come back to earth again. What power was it that forced you back? Stir asked. It was a longing to see my son and a yearning for Kedanath. All of my memories from my life on earth returned. I saw myself as a bride. I hear his voice. I remembered the yellow house. Everything came back to me as if I was still on earth. I wanted to be Kedanath's wife again. However, it was in vain. You could never be Kedanath's wife. I didn't know that then. She felt that wanting to come back so strongly was a mistake, and it was because she was tied too strongly to life and Kedanath that she couldn't let go. She felt her love was greedy, demanding and egotistical. She felt that if she hadn't longed so desperately to come back, she would not have needed to reincarnate again, but would have been reunited with Brahma and had eternal life. Shanti Devi never did marry. She did open her school and eventually built an ashram, where she spent her time teaching Sanskrit and spirituality. Naturally, Kedanath died many years before Shanti Devi. Time had given her perhaps a more realistic vision of who he was as a man. When asked how she felt about Kedanath, Shanti Devi replied, The relationship between Lugati Devi and Kedanath was perhaps not as romantic as Lugati Devi supposed it to be. Kedanath was rather demanding when it concerned financial matters. Lugati Devi's father was almost ruined after he collected enough money for the dowry, and I shall never forget those 150 rupees which Kedanath promised me he would sacrifice to Krishna but instead used to pay for my funeral. However, he was absolutely not an unkind man, and it was Lugati Devi's free will to marry him, and he really loved her. Shanti Devi died on the 27th of December, 1987, at the age of 61. I've scoured the net trying to find out her cause of death, but as is the case with a lot of these Indian stories, it's often very difficult to track the lives of people once they settle back into their normal lives. It's strange to think that Shanti Devi is now on the cycle to reincarnate again. To think that we know two of her lives and she might be back in our lifetime to commence another one. Will she come back so quickly this time? Are she and Kedanath together now? And will they return to share a life together in the next incarnation? Or did Shanti Devi really forsake the earth once and for all this time and try her chant again so she no longer needs to return. We will probably never know, but wherever she is, 
I hope she has found the peace, the joy and the love that she hoped for here on Earth. Thank you for listening to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. We hope you enjoyed this case. If you would like to hear any other interesting stories about reincarnation, or if you can relate your own past life experiences, I'd love to hear about them, and I can be contacted through my email at reincarnationplr at gmail.com or via my Facebook page called Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. We'll be back again soon with another episode, but until then, remember you are unique and your life has a purpose. Music